Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. As we find it written in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. This Sunday morning is more in keeping with the season of the year, as I'm sure all of us agree. I hope that you are glad to be in church this morning, that we have come here to worship our God. Today, as I have said, we are celebrating the Festival of Epiphany, and we are also taking note of the fact that this is the first Sunday of the new year, 1972. The word Epiphany means a manifestation, a showing forth, and therefore it commemorates the time when the wise men came, when Jesus was manifested or shown forth to them, these wise men who were not Jews, but who were Gentiles. This is perhaps the oldest festival that is celebrated in the Christian church. It always comes on January the 6th, as your church calendar will tell you. We shall observe it, however, today. It goes by a number of names, the Festival of Epiphany. It is called the Festival of the Three Wise Men, the Festival of the Gentiles. It's also called the Festival of the Twelfth Day, figuring from December the 25th to January the 6th, 12 days. As you and I know that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the manger, he was manifested, or there was an epiphany, to the shepherds, and they were Jews. But when the wise men came, they were not Jews. They were from the Gentile world. And so epiphany is known as the Gentile Christmas. If you have observed in your paper, there are a number of Christian churches, the Orthodox churches in the East, who celebrate Christmas not on December the 25th, but rather on January the 6th, when Jesus was manifested again to the wise men. And so today we are going to do as we did in the Advent season, as we did in our Christmas Eve service, we are asking the question, what child is this? Who is this child who was born in Bethlehem? And since this is Epiphany, we shall ask the wise men. Wise men tell us, what child is this? And the wise men tell us, why don't you know what child this is? This child is no less, the wise men tell us, than the king of the Jews, and also our king, for we have come to worship him. We, we may wonder about the wise men. Perhaps you wonder, uh, why are we talking about the wise men today? Well, as we go back to the Christmas story, Jesus, we know, was born in a manger in Bethlehem. How long they remained in the stable there, we are not told, but surely not very long. As people moved out of Bethlehem and went back home, Mary and Joseph certainly found a house. On the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised, as every Jewish male was. Then last Sunday, as we heard, on the 40th day, Mary and Joseph took the child from Bethlehem, went six miles north into Jerusalem, and they presented him in the temple as the firstborn son, and Mary offered her sacrifice, the purification, which was the rite of the Jews. There they met Simeon, as we heard last Sunday, and there Anna the prophetess, again, she blessed the child. 
They did not go back home. They didn't go back up into Galilee, to, up to Nazareth. They decided that they would make their home in Bethlehem. Mary evidently didn't want to go back where they had come from. So they came back to Bethlehem. And then it was after they came back and took a house in Bethlehem that the visit of the wise men came. Judging from the fact that King Herod, you know, he killed all the little boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under, and he was playing it safe, the visit of the wise men may have been almost as long as two years after Jesus was born because he again... He was making sure that when he was going to kill the boy children uh, down in Bethlehem that he would get this king. So just when the visit of the wise men came, we do not know, but we do know that when they came, they found him in a house. And so today we say on this Epiphany Festival, wise men, what child is this? And again, the wise men say, why, he is no less than the king of the Jews, and he is also the king of the Gentiles. He is the savior of all men without exception. He is the universal king and savior. He is your savior and my savior, not excluding you or me, and not giving you and me the brush off, never saying, again, you are simply nothing but an orphan. You are an outcast. You are a forgotten one. The wise men would remind you and me and call us to thank God that this child was no less than the universal Savior, your Savior and mine, the Savior of every individual, not excluding one soul, not even excluding you, not even excluding me. And somehow or other on this event, we may say to ourselves, I'd like to believe that. I would like to believe that I should rejoice and thank God that this child was no less than the universal Savior, the Savior of the Jew, the Savior of the Gentile, my Savior, not excluding me, not giving me a brush off, we may say to ourselves, it's rather hard because was it God's will that this Jesus be the universal Savior, that he be the Savior of the Jew and also the Gentile world? When we read our Bibles, we may say there's so much about the Jew here that it would give us the feeling that uh, Jesus came primarily to be the Savior of the Jewish people. And how about us Gentiles, us who are non-Jews? We may say, how about me? We may at times in our Christian experience say, I don't amount to much. After all, why should Christ come to be my Savior? Uh, he gives me the brush off. I'm not very important. I don't mean so very much. And therefore I wonder, was this Jesus my Savior too? And the wise men would cause you and me to rejoice and say, we came to worship him. He was not only the King, the Savior of the Jews, but also the Savior of the Gentiles because their visit would assure you and me that it was God's will that it was ever God's will, it was nothing less than God's will at any time, but that this child should be the Savior not only of the Jew, but of the Gentile world, even your Savior and mine, not giving you and me the brush off as though we didn't raid, as though we didn't count. And let's look at the Word of God this morning and let's see that it was God's will, always God's good and gracious will, that this child should be the universal Savior for everybody, not excluding one single soul, not even excluding you and me. Unimportant though we may say we are and we don't amount to much. And why would he be my Savior? Why would he be your Savior? Because in the first place, let's know this, that the coming of the wise men again reminds us that God's good and gracious will, this will of God, God will from the very beginning back in the Garden of Eden that this child should be the universal Savior, the Savior of everybody, Jew and Gentile, even your Savior and mine. 
We say, well, oh, this is rather a strange thing. This is a strange experience, the coming of these wise men. Lo and behold, they came into Jerusalem one day. These men come in and they ask, where is he that is born king of the Jews? There had been a star. It was miraculous, the only explanation for it. A star had guided them to Jerusalem. And the amazing thing is that in Jerusalem, the birth of Jesus, it didn't simply cut a wrinkle. Of course, there was no radio. There was no television. And no one knew anything about it. Uh, who is this king? So Herod, wondering if there was a king upstart and wondering whether somebody was going to take his throne, Herod was a little puppet king down in Judea. Uh, he called the chief priests and the elders together and he said, where is your king to be born? If you were to have a king, where was he to be born? And they told him rightly that Micah the prophet, who lived 800 years before, had said that he would be born in Bethlehem. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou art little among the thousands of Judah. So again, they told King Herod right that their king was to be born in Bethlehem. Then he called the wise men in and he had a secret meeting with them and he questioned them at length at what time did this star appear? See, trying to determine how old would this king be uh, who was to be born in Bethlehem. And we can see again that when he had the children killed that evidently he found out that the star somehow or other within the past two years and then again he told them to go down to Bethlehem, says the six miles south of here, you go down to that city, and when you have found this king, be sure and come and tell me all about it so I can go and worship him too. And they started down to Bethlehem, and the star again appeared, and they were filled with great joy, and they came into Bethlehem, and the star stood over the house. Now they were living in the house, and they found Mary, and they found the Christ child, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened up their gifts, and they gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. An amazing thing. Here were wise men, Gentiles, and they found the Christ child. And we may say to ourselves, but was this Jesus to be the universal Savior, even your Savior and mine, even though you and I are not very important, even though we may say we don't amount to very much, and we've got the brush off, bear in mind, let's go back in the Word of God, back to the Garden of Eden. When God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, listen, they were the world. And when they sinned, when they did that which was wrong, tempted by Satan, remember the first promise that God gave as he spoke to Adam and Eve and to the devil in the guise of a servant. He said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Adam and Eve were the world. When God promised the seed of the woman, who was the Savior, in that you and I can say he was to be the universal Savior because the entire human race was Adam and Eve, according to the word of God. You may say, what race were they? They were not Jews. You don't hear the word Jew till over 2,000 years later. They were God's people. What color were they? I don't know. Were they white? I don't know. Were they black? I don't know. Were they brown-skinned or yellow-skinned? I don't know. What language did they speak? I don't know. All that I know is they were the world, two human beings. And all that I know is that the Savior was promised the world. And therefore you and I know this, that from the very beginning, it was God's will that this child be the universal Savior, not just of the Jew, not just for a few and uh, not for others, but he was to be the Savior for you and for me. Not ever casting you and me off, as though, again, that we were simply orphans, that we were outcasts. From the very beginning, back in the garden, he was to be the Savior of the world. And therefore we have this joy. We ought to rejoice on Epiphany Sunday. We ought to say when the wise men call us to rejoice, thank God, because what does this mean? That the first promise of the Savior was to be the Savior of the world because it was made to the whole human race, two people. It assures you and me that we have this comfort. There is no place in the Word of God where God predestined you or me or anybody else 
to damnation. There may be those that say, God, who is sovereign, he has predestined or predetermined that some of us are going to be damned. You show me that in Scripture. That isn't there, friend. There is no place in the Word of God where God has determined that any one soul should be lost and should be damned. It is not there. It was the good and gracious will of God from the very beginning that this child should be the Savior of all men. That includes you and me, regardless of what we think of ourselves at times. And therefore, on this Epiphany occasion, as we celebrate the Epiphany, and as we sing our songs and we praise God because the wise men, they call on us to do it. This is not only the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the Gentiles. We ought to thank God and praise him. And then as we are standing here at the portal of this new year, we ought to determine to take this Christ, this universal Savior with us. When we do it, we ought to look back on yesterday. and We ought to simply leave behind forever those things of which we are ashamed. We may say to ourselves, how can I go into the new year and take Christ with me? Look at my life. Look at the things that are wrong. Bear in mind that this Jesus came to be the universal Savior, your Savior and mine. From the very beginning, God didn't exempt one human soul. That means you and me, and I don't care who you are or who I am or what I am. I know this, that you and I can turn to this Christ who died on the cross for you and me. And we can take all the dirty, stinking things of last year and we can lay him at his feet and tell him we're sorry and to forgive us. We can leave them behind forever. Oh, let's leave 1971 behind. Wipe it off. Burn the bridge. It's done. Because he was the universal Savior. His blood was shed for you and me, regardless of what lousy things may have been done in your life and mine in the past. Cut it off. It's done. It's forever forgiven. Today, epiphany. We say to ourselves, was it God's will at all times that this child should be the universal Savior? We may say, well, when you read the Bible, there, there's so much about the Jew, and surely there is. We may get the feeling that, well, God sent him uh, just to be the king and the savior of the Jews, but not of us Gentiles, and surely not for me or for you. We may say, after I don't amount to much. Uh, uh, why shouldn't God give me the brush off? Uh, why shouldn't God sort of snub me and give me the cold shoulder? Uh, I'm not a very important person. But oh, the wise men, when Epiphany comes, believe you me, uh, this, again, great celebration of the twelfth day, the wise men call upon you and me to thank God, telling us that this child is, he's the king of the Jews, the savior of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. Yours and mine, because their coming assures us that it was always God's will. It was ever God's will that this Christ, this babe of Bethlehem, should be the savior of everyone, even you and me. Not in any way, in any sense, ever omitting and sliding even one soul. Because in the second place, let's know this, that the coming of the wise men, it reminds us that God's good and gracious will, it will throughout the whole Old Testament period, that this Jesus was to be the universal Christ. You may say, preacher, where do you find in the Old Testament? Where do you find that this babe was to be the, the Gentile Savior? You may say there's no mission work in the Old Testament. You may say, it's all about the Jew, and it is, isn't it? Well, let's go back for a moment. God gave the promise to our first parents, and they were the world. And then there was Cain and Abel, and the promise again was to come through Abel, and Cain killed Abel, and God raised up Seth, you remember. Then we come down a thousand years after the creation of Adam and Eve. We come down to the time of Noah. 
You may say, well, when Noah blessed his son Shem, didn't he say, blessed be the Lord God of Shem? In other words, Noah, when he blessed Shem, the oldest son, he said, blessed be the Lord God or the Savior that's going to come from your line. And wasn't Jesus, you may say, a Shemite, or wasn't he a Semitic person? And that's where we get the word. And you may say, wasn't Shem the forefather of what later became the Jewish race? And that's right. We may say to ourselves, you see, uh, God only intended uh, the Savior to be the Savior of the Jew. He was to be from Shem. But don't forget, you go back and look in your Bible. Now here was the second son of Noah. His name was Japheth. And when Noah blessed the second son, Japheth, don't forget what he said when he laid his hand on his hand. And he said, and Japheth shall dwell in the tent of Shem. In other words, Japheth, you will dwell in the tents of Shem. You will enjoy the privileges and the blessings in the tents of Shem. They're also for you. And don't forget this. Japheth was the father of all Gentiles. That's you and me. And therefore, again, even from the time of Noah back in the Old Testament, the promise was not only was he to be the savior of the, again, of the Jew, a Shemite, but Japheth was going to dwell in the tents and also enjoy it. And that's the Gentile world. That means you need. Oh, let's go on. We say, well, how about it? Did God intend, was it God's good and gracious will, that Jesus be the Savior of everybody, including you and me, that nobody gets a brush off? Was that true in the Old Testament when you hear so much about the Jew? Well, let's go back to the time when Moses led the children of Israel and you know, brought them up to the river Jordan and then Moses died and you know jo Joshua took command and they crossed the river Jordan and they were going to take the land of Canaan weren't they remember when they went up into the city here of Jericho and they sent uh, they sent spies into the city of Jericho because they were going to take that city and going to start to take the land and remember the spies were put up in the home of a woman by the name of Rahab she was a Canaanitish woman and she was a harlot. She was the prostitute of the town. She made her living as a prostitute. But she hid the spies and she let them down on the side of the wall and they got away safely. And they told her that when we come and take the city of Jericho, if you will put in your window, they said, if you will put a scarlet cord, a red cord, think of it, about 1,500 years before Christ, near about 2,000, when we talk about the red light districts of a city where the prostitutes live, we talk about the red light that comes from the red cord that Rahab put in her window. And she put it in and she had her family there. When, you know, the Israelites came and the walls of Jericho fell and they took the city, she was saved. And lo and behold, in the word of God, there was a, an Israelite by the name of Salmon who fell in love with Rahab and married her. And then, you see, here comes some, not only Gentile blood, but the blood of a prostitute, of a harlot. And they had a son, they had a son by the name of Boaz. Does that mean anything to you? And Boaz, therefore, had in him, he had Israelite blood, and he had Gentile blood and the blood of a prostitute. And then comes the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. You know that story? When Naomi and her husband Elimelech, and they had two sons, you know, Malan and Kilian, there was a famine in the land, in the land of Canaan, so they went over the land of Moab and they lived there. And remember, Malan and Kilian, they married wives of the Moabites. One married a girl with the name of Ruth, another one married a girl with the name of Orpha. And remember then, Elimelech and Malan and Kilian died, and then Ruth said, I'm going back to my own people. I'm going to cross the Jordan. I'm going back to the land of Israel. And she told Ruth and she told Orpah, you stay here and you worship your gods. And Orpah did, but you remember it was Ruth that said, oh no, she said, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. And where thou liest, I will lie. Where thou liest, I will live. 
The River Jordan, and she embraced the true God, but she was a Moabitess. And lo and behold, Boaz, who had Gentile blood, he fell in love with her and married her. And that child's name was Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, and David the ancestor of Christ. Don't forget that when you look at the bloodline of this babe of Bethlehem, he was not pure-blooded Jew. There was in his bloodline Gentile blood, the blood of a prostitute, Rahab, and the blood of Ruth, a Moabite, a heathen girl. God wrote it into the fabric, the warp and the woof of the Old Testament. This babe was to be no less than the universal Savior. And then Isaiah 60, the epistle lesson today, Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, he said, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee, for Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. All they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, the camels and the dromedaries of Ephah. You know, our forefathers, when they read Isaiah 60, they said, Here's the prophecy, coming of the coming of the wise men. You may wonder in the wise men's story, how do we call them kings? It doesn't say so here, does it? Because Isaiah says kings shall come, so we've made them kings. Because they gave gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we said there were three. It doesn't say three. We've given them names. It's not in the Bible. We call one Gaspar and the other Melchior and the other Belfazar. Because we put them on camels, because Isaiah said the camels and the dromedaries would come. And our forefathers said, here is a prophecy of Isaiah who lived 700 years that the wise men were going to come. Tremendous, isn't it? And so we say, but you say there was no mission. There was no mission program in the Old Testament. We may say, well, since there wasn't, how about those heathens that lived and died in the Old Testament? Never heard about a seed. This bothers us at times. We say, well, then how about me? Is it God's will that God wants to save me? Didn't God give me the brush off? I'm not a very important person. I don't mean much. I'm sort of an orphan. I'm sort of an outcast. Uh, God's forgotten me. Listen, you take your Bible and you try to find the answer in Scripture. What happens to a person who lives and dies who has never heard about Jesus Christ? And I want to tell you, you won't find it. It isn't there. Don't let anybody tell you that the person who lives and dies without Christ that the Bible says he's saved. And don't let anybody tell you he's lost. God says, wait a minute, that's my business. God says, you let me take care of that. And I'm sure that his good and gracious will will do it. And I'm sure that God will be... I don't know what God's going to do about the heathen who lives and dies without Christ. But I know that God's good and gracious will, he sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. That I do know. And I know that it'll be fair. That's his business. That's not mine, thank God. I'm not going to try to run his show. That's his, not mine. And therefore, you and I ought to say on Epiphany, and sometimes in our Christian life we say, well, Jesus didn't come to be mine. He doesn't want me. Uh, Why, I'm not a very important. I don't count for very much. Uh, He gives me the brush off. He can snub me. Uh, He didn't come. Oh, listen, don't you remember from your childhood the visit of the wise men? Do you know what it means? These were Gentiles, and God brought them... They have come to worship the king of the Jews and they wanted to worship him too. Why? Because he was the universal Christ and therefore we ought to take him along this year. When we take him along as our king, we look at an uncertain future, let's know this, but when we put ourselves into his hands and we take him along, he who controls the universe, then we've got this assurance. It may not be an easy journey in 1972, but I promise you it'll be a safe one because this king is greater than any events in life. When we don't know the future and everybody's trying to tell what kind of a future we're going to have economically and so forth, who knows? But I do know this, that when you and I take him along, 
as our King and as our Savior because He came to be your Savior and mine. He didn't exclude you and me. Oh, no. He didn't exclude one soul. Then you and I know this, that it'll be a safe one regardless of what comes. Uh, this is epiphany. It, it ought to mean something. Oh, this is a tremendous thing, the wise men, because the wise men's coming assures us that it was God's will from the very beginning that this child was to be the Savior of all men, universal, not excluding one soul, not even you and me. Regardless of what horrible things we may think about ourselves at times and think, it's so hopeless, why even try? Because, listen, the very coming of the wise men reminds us that it was God's will that the wise men should come and that in the New Testament time, the time should come when it should be broadcast to the world that Jesus was the universal Savior, that he didn't exclude one soul, not even you or me. Unimportant as you and I may feel, but we are. But we don't count for much. It was in the providence of God that in the New Testament, these wise men should come. And of course we say to ourselves, who, who were they, preacher? Who were these wise men? Well, of course it doesn't tell us, except they were wise and they were mad. Where'd they come from? They came from the east. However, if you turn to the Bible, the Old Testament, I don't think it's hard to decide where they came from. If you remember a little bit about the Old Testament, remember back in 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon and he carried the people of Judah back into captivity. They were down there in Babylon for 70 years. Well, listen, in the 70-year period when they lived down there, uh, they kept alive the story that there was going to be a star out of Jacob as had been prophesied. And they told about a Messiah, saved that was going to come. The people of Babylon, they knew what the Jewish hope was. And the Jews came back, you know. But again, down in Babylon, there were those who knew about this great promise that God had made to Israel. And evidently, as far as I'm concerned, I believe they came from Babylon, about 600 miles east, and that God blessed them because the Babylonians had been good to the Jews. And God gave a star, a miraculous star, and the star of Jacob was somewhere other I don't know, but God told them to start moving. And the wise men, some of their great dignitaries, their astronomers, they, they started their travel. Think of it, they traveled about 600 miles. Yes, coming over because there was a star. And this meant, again, this king of the Jews, uh, this, again, this savior of the world, and, and they came. And this was the New Testament in the providence of God. And uh, this is what happened. And then after Jesus had died on the cross for you and me, after he had been our savior, after he had risen from the dead, after he had atoned for our sins and given us the assurance, after he had gone back to heaven, when he had sent the Holy Spirit, then God says, now go out and tell the world. Here he is again. This is the Jesus. This Jesus is the king of the world. He is the universal Savior, not only of the Jew, but also of the Gentile. Your Savior and mine. Think of it. That's something, isn't it? And this is it in the New Testament to go out and tell the world. And therefore, again, we ought to rejoice and thank God because it means this in your life and mine. God says he would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God says to you and me this morning, as I live, I swear by my existence that I don't have any pleasure in having to damn you. My joy is that you would turn from your wickedness and live. This is the will of God. It's always been his will. There is no reason for anybody within the sound of my voice to say it's hopeless. Oh, no, the wise men. Don't forget Epiphany. It's tremendous. It's an amazing thing when we understand it. Wise men, Gentiles, heathen, coming God in a dramatic way, bringing them and saying, this is your Savior too. This has been always my will. He's the Savior of everybody. Therefore, as we go into this year, 1972, you and I ought to thank God for the visit of the wise men, thank God for Epiphany, and we ought to say, I'm going to take him along. I'm going to take him along 
and I'm going to, again, pledge my loyalty, and I'm going to be true, and I'm going to be faithful. All that he asks is this. When you and I take him along, let's say I'm going along with you, and you're going as my Savior, and I'm going to surrender. I'm going to, I'm going to submit. I'm going to do your will. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to live the way you want me to live. I'm going to believe, and I'm going to hold fast. And then it means this comfort in this year, even if death comes, everything's going to be all right. Oh, how, how quickly death comes. Oh, just last night I heard the emergency squad go out about 6 o'clock. Stand in the living room and I opened the door to see if it was raining. I heard them go east and wasn't about 15 or 20 minutes later. I got a phone call. One of the policemen came out on Forest Lawn and Larry Larson, one of our members, died suddenly. It just comes just watching television. just like that. And, and this, this is what happened. Who knows? I, I don't know whether you and I are ever going to see the end of this year. I don't know how far you and I are going to get into it. Had an interesting experience last Monday morning. I went in the grocery store and bought something, and as I was being checked out, the girl with the check in place, there weren't too many there. She looked at me, and I'd known her face. I don't know her name. I didn't know she knew me by name. But she said, Oh, Reverend Hanson, I've been wanting to talk to you. She said, The other Sunday I was listening on the radio, and you were telling about a man that wanted a sack of Christmas candy. And she said, oh, I cried and I cried and I cried. I felt so sorry for him. Then she said, is he still alive? Well, last Monday morning, I was able to tell her, yes, he is alive. He is gravely ill. But last Monday evening, God, God called him. Oh, he didn't get to come into church. He didn't get to see the Christmas decorations, which is what he wanted, but he wanted a sack of candy, you know, and I went down and took him a sack to Columbus because it was sort of a foretaste of heaven. This, this meant so much to him. But when I was down there talking to him, uh, Frank said to me, I know I'm going to die. I said, I know that. And he said, when I die, I, I want a church funeral. I want to be wheeled right down in front. And he said, there was a time when I, I was afraid to die. But he said, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not a bit afraid to die because I, I know Christ. He's the Jesus I've heard. So last Thursday afternoon, we brought Frank's body here in the church and we we lighted the candles in the Christmas trees. He, he didn't get to see it when he was alive, but we again came into God's house and we, we thanked God that here was one who had put his faith in Jesus and who had been uh, called home to heaven. Really, nothing else matters now, does it? In your life and mine, if, if we've got him along this year and if death should come and just oh so quickly, we can go home to be with our Lord. Everything's all right because, you see, he's a wonderful Christ. He's not only, as the wise men tell us, he was not only the king, the savior of the Jews, but he was the savior of the Gentiles. He was a universal savior, actually so big that he was your savior and mine. Even though at times we may say, oh, uh, I'm not a very important person. I don't mean very much. Well, can we go into this year when we sing with the wise men and realize of what they mean and the providence of God and the joy and the hope that we can sing with them, we three kings of Orient are, a bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, a following yonder star, oh star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. And if you and I have got the perfect life, Jesus Christ, even if death comes this year, nothing else matters. Because when we've got him, we can go home.
My wish for you for the new year is this, that you'll take him along, the Christ that the wise men found when they came to Bethlehem, and a happy and a blessed new year to all of you. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Mm-hmm.